Well, we are on chapter 27, 27 in our confession. And we are on this chapter dealing with the communion of the saints. So the communion of the saints. And we'll do just the first paragraph today because it, there are a lot of verses to look up. Uh, so we'll do just paragraph number one. Chapter 27, and we'll do paragraph one today, but let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll begin our study. Father, we thank you for uh, the good time that we've had together, Lord, with one another. Lord, for the time of fellowship and the meal that you provided for us. And now, Lord, we are grateful to gather again and to open your word and to be taught, Lord, by you from the scriptures. Lord, we do pray that you would teach us concerning what it is for us to have communion with you and, Lord, with one another, Lord, that we might strive for and desire to have true fellowship with one another. Lord, not a superficial fellowship that is so often seen in churches and in the world, but that our fellowship would be centered around you, Lord, through our communion with Christ, Lord, around your word and the truth, Lord, around righteousness and those things that are good and right and pleasing in your sight. So, Lord, may you build us up in this type of communion and give to us this type of true fellowship, Lord, that can only be known by those who are filled with your spirit. So, Lord, build us up today. Lord, encourage us from your word. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, chapter 27, paragraph 1. says, All saints are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and by faith, although this does not make them one person with him. They have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. Since they are united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obligated to carry out these duties both both in public and private in an orderly way to promote their mutual good both in the inner and outer aspects of life. So here the point of this uh, chapter and of this paragraph is to talk about our communion that we have with Christ first, but then also with one another, right? We understand and recognize that in order for us to be saved, in order for us to be redeemed, we have to be united with Christ. Union with Christ is essential for our salvation, and this takes place in a spiritual or a hidden secret way through the Holy Spirit within us, right? We are united to Christ by the Spirit and through faith, and we are partakers with Him, right, with Christ, so that we are one with Him, right? We've died with Christ, we will live with Christ, and now the life that we live in this body, in this present life, is to be the life of Christ. Christ is to live in us and through us, and we are to live in the same way that He lives, so that Our life is one and it is hidden in Christ and we are one with him. Well, if that is true of us individually in terms of our salvation, and we are all united individually to Christ, then that also means that we're going to be bound to one another, that we're going to be interconnected through our common union with Christ. And because we are all united to Christ by the same spirit and by the same faith, 
right? Not a different spirit for one and another spirit for another, and not one faith for one and a different faith for another, but one in the same faith and one in the same spirit. And the object of our faith is one in the same, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the doctrines that are found in the scriptures, right? Those things are the foundation upon which all of our faith must be built upon. Well, if this is true of each of us individually, then there is going to be a collective harmony, a communion amongst the members of the body of Christ because we all possess the same spirit and we all have a like faith. So there will be communion with one another and this is the way that we are to live the Christian life in this present life, right? Not separating ourselves from one another, but having communion with the saints, right? With the believers in the church, communion with Christ, with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit, and then also communion with one another, seen in our love for each other, our serving one another, our exercising our gifts for the benefit of one another, and doing those things that are good and necessary for the mutual upbuilding of the church. So the communion of the saints is an essential part of our Christian life, and one that we cannot neglect, right? We cannot neglect meeting together with the saints, in being in regular communion with one another. Because if we're not in communion with the body of Christ, it shows that we're not in communion with the head, right? We're not in communion with Christ. So to be united to Christ is to also, at the same time, be united with his body, right? To love Christ is to love his body. And if we don't love the body of Christ, then we don't love Christ and we don't love God. No matter what we say, no matter how big our protests are, no matter how much we might proclaim to love God, if we don't love the body, then we do not have the love of God within us. We don't love God and he doesn't love us if we don't love his body. So this is essential, essential for the Christian life for us to see this in ourselves, okay? So we'll start there at the beginning and work our way through. It says, all saints are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and by faith, right? By the spirit and by faith. The spirit unites us to Jesus Christ and our faith unites us to Jesus Christ, right? We are united to him in this way. Although this does not make them one person with him. We are united with Christ, but he is a separate person and we are separate persons, right? We don't merge into Christ or become gods in that way, right? We don't, uh, we're not consumed into Christ in that way that you might see in pagan religions or idolatrous religions, right? Where they believe that the adherents of the religion themselves become divine or themselves become assumed into the deity or into the divinity, right? We don't become divine. We are partakers of Christ, Right, And we are like Christ in our human nature, like his human nature, right? But we don't become little gods, such as the Mormons teach, right? The Mormons teach that we become, or they become, not we because we're not Mormons, but the Mormons believe that if you're a good Mormon, that you will be given your own planet one day, and then you will have many wives and have relations with those wives, and then you'll have spiritual offspring that will populate that planet, okay, just like God has populated this planet by having relations with many women, so you will be your own God and do those things. 
we don't believe in anything like that. That's craziness, right? It's crazy uh, way out there. How can anyone believe this, right? But there's many who do believe it. Uh, so we're not like that. So we don't become one person with him so that we are ourselves Christ. Right? That's not, not it at all. We are who we are, but we are united to Christ, right? We're united to him so that his life is in us and we're to live the life of Christ, and we are partakers of his graces, of his graces and his goodness that give to us salvation. So we are united and connected to him in such a way, we have such communion with Christ that the grace of God comes to us through the person of Christ, right? This is the way of our salvation. That's why they say they have fellowship in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. So that what was true of Christ and what is true of Christ will be repeated in each and every one of us. As it was with the head, so it will be with the body. And this is because we have fellowship with Christ and what was true of him will be true of us. Did Christ suffer in this life? Yes. So will we suffer? Yes, we will. Did Christ die? He died, so we must die. He was raised, so we must be raised. He is glorified, so we will be glorified as well, right? This is what they mean by union with Christ, so that what is true of Christ will also be manifested in his children, in his brothers, in the church, those that make up the body of Christ. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, verse 1 says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life? And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So here, the apostle states that the reason he's writing these things to the church is so that they might come to know Christ and have fellowship with Christ, just as the apostle has fellowship with Christ. Right? That's what he wants. His fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And he wants the church to have the same fellowship with the Father and with the Son that the apostles have as well. Those who were eyewitnesses, those who saw these things, who looked at these things, who have touched it with their own hands, who have heard it with their own ears, seen it with their own eyes, right? concerning the word of life. And who is the word of life? but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? They have seen it, and now they're testifying and proclaiming to us the very things that they have seen so that we too might enter into fellowship and experience the same graces, the same goodness that they have come to experience and to know through Jesus Christ, through their encounter with Christ. Right? And this comes to us through the word of Christ. 
through faith in the word of Christ, right? Not merely possessing the Bible, but believing the Bible, believing it, having faith in what the word of Christ teaches causes us to enter into fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And verse 14. John chapter 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, uh, we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So through the person and work of Jesus Christ, through the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, we receive grace upon grace through Christ, right? Through his person, through his work, this is how the grace of God that leads to our salvation, it comes to us through him right, through him. And when we have fellowship with Christ, we also are having fellowship with God because no one has ever seen God at any time. It's the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father. He explains him. So when we see Christ and we understand Christ correctly, who else are we understanding and seeing correctly? We're seeing God the Father, right, because no one has ever seen God, but Christ is explaining him. And and then we're receiving that, not by our own eyewitness testimony, but through the eyewitness of the apostles, right? Through their testimony and through the testimony that has been preserved for us in the word of Christ, then we're entering into the same fellowship that they experienced in their life when they saw and heard Jesus Christ, right? And they entered fellowship with him on the basis of faith. Because not everyone who saw him with their eyes or heard him with their physical ears, not all of those people had fellowship with Christ. Many of them walked away. So what was the difference between the apostles and the spurious believers, those who were just curious but who did not last? Faith. They had faith and the others did not. And who gave them that faith? But the Spirit of Christ within them. Well, who is working within us? The Spirit of Christ. And what does he work within us? He works faith. Faith in whom? Faith in Christ. So it's all the same, and this is why the fellowship, the communion, is the same for all of the saints, right? For all the saints. Okay, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 8. Philippians 3, verse 8 says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So here, the apostle wants to know the power of the resurrection of Christ. But to know the power of his resurrection, he must first have fellowship in his sufferings and be conformed to his death. And that's what he's talking about earlier in verses 8 and 9. He had to die to his old self. The old self had to die, the one that was depending upon his own righteousness. All of those things that were of value to him, they had to die. He had to die in that sense, and those things had to be rubbish. He had to suffer the loss of those things, namely his self-righteousness, right? His so-called adherence to the law. All of that had to be crucified so that he could live to Christ and gain the power of the resurrection from the dead. You have to have the suffering in order to have the resurrection. That's the way it was with Christ. He suffered first, then he entered into his glory. So we also must suffer first and then enter into glory with Christ. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and we'll read verses 5 through 11. Romans 6, verse 5. It says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there, if we've been united with him in a death like his, right, in the likeness of his death, united to him in what way? Right? Well, it doesn't mean literally that we die physically whenever we believe in Christ, because we all claim to believe in Christ and we all are still alive. But he means it in a spiritual way, right? The spiritual man, the old man, the fleshly man is united with Christ when we believe in him. And just as the body of Christ was put to death, so the body of our sin is put to death. And then just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we spiritually are raised from the dead at the moment of our conversion. And then later in our life, whenever we die physically, our physical body will be put to death. And then later, at the day of resurrection, that physical body will be raised from the dead, just as it was with Christ, right? The spiritual and the physical. We will die, we die spiritually with Christ, we're raised spiritually with Christ at our conversion, and then we will die physically and we will be raised physically as well. All based upon whose death and resurrection? All based upon Christ by virtue of our union with him. So we have been united in this spiritual sense with the person and work of Christ so that what happened to him is what happens to us as well, right? But in the proper order, the proper order, Christ first and then we after 
Christ. Okay, then Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 16. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So there, we suffer with him, and then we will be glorified with him. So this is the communion or the fellowship that we have with Christ. Fellowship with his sufferings, and then fellowship with his, with his glories. In the proper order, suffering first in this life, and then glory in the life to come. And that's the proper order. That's as it was with Christ, who is the head, so it also will be with the body. So we have this communion then with Christ in a very real sense, in a spiritual sense, through the Spirit, through faith, right, through the person and work of Christ. Okay, next. Since they are united to one another in love, and they have communion in each other's gifts and graces, and are obligated to carry out these duties, both public and private, in an orderly way to promote their mutual good, both in the inner and outer aspects of life. So here, the second part, not only do we have fellowship with Christ, but now also, because we all are in the same body, and we're all united to the same Christ through the same faith, it entails that we also have communion or union with one another, that we are united together in the body of Christ, and we are to commune with one another in this way, by being together, by helping one another, by giving grace to each other, right? by carrying each other's burdens. Right? We have a duty and obligation to be of service to one another, both publicly and privately. Right? Publicly, when we're together as a church, Right? We should not be looking only to our own interest. We shouldn't just talk about ourselves and what we're doing and what we think. But we should have a genuine interest in other people and should be talking and asking them about them and how they're doing and what's going on in their life and then doing whatever we can to be a benefit and to be a help to them. So we need to be together in public to do that when we gather together in our corporate worship, but then also privately privately in our private conversations with one another, in our prayers to God for one another, we should be praying in this way, not just thinking about ourselves, but about the whole body of Christ, right? Not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others as better than yourself, and especially in the church. And we do this to promote mutual good, both in the inner and outer aspects of life. The inner man, the spiritual man, right? So we need to be helping one another to build up the spiritual man, encouraging each other, helping us grow in our faith, to be sanctified, to be edified. And then also the outer man. Whenever someone has a need, a physical need, and we have the ability to meet that need, we should help. We should help and do those things in all aspects of life because we belong to one another. Right? We are a part of one body. And this is what we talked about uh, last week or the week before in terms of the husband and the wife. In Ephesians chapter 5, no one ever hated his own body, but he loves it, he cherishes it, he nourishes it. So the husband should also do to his wife because the wife is a part of the same body as the husband. Well, isn't that true of the church as well? 
we are all a part of the same body, and no one ever hated his own body, but he loves it. So we should love and care for one another in this way. Okay, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So there, we are to speak the truth to one another in love. And when we do this, we grow up in all, spe- all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So the, the head is perfect. The body is not perfect. The body needs to grow, to mature, to advance. And when we speak to one another in truth with love, then we cr- cause each individual part of the body to grow up into maturity, into the fullness of Christ, who is our head. That's what we need, so, so that every joint of the body is working properly. Every individual part is growing and reaching maturity, and then that benefits everyone else as well. So that's the desire. That's what we should be doing within the confines of the church. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12. Twelve verse four it says, "Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God, who works all things in all persons. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit." and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So there... Not, all, not one person, not one individual possesses the manifestation of every spiritual gift. But rather, the Spirit gives to each individual gifts according to His will, according to as He wishes. But all of the gifts come from whom? They all come from the same Spirit, right? And all of the ministries come from the same Lord Jesus Christ. And all the effects come from the same God and Father who works all things in all persons. So is one gift then going to work against another gift? Are they going to be in in opposition to one another? Are they going to exist in bitterness, in jealousy, in rivalries against one another? Well, that's not going to be the case at all. Because if that were the case, then God himself would be divided. The Spirit would be divided. Jesus Christ would be divided. How can Christ work against Christ? If a kingdom is divided against itself, what's going to happen to it? It's going to fall. So the gifts that are distributed in the church by the will of God and by the power of the Spirit, 
They don't work in opposition to one another, but they work together in harmony with one another because they all originate and come from the same Spirit. And the Spirit distributes them as He sees fit according to His will. Is everyone a hand? No. Is everyone a foot? Is everyone an eye? Is everyone an ear? No. But all of them are necessary for the body to work and function properly. All of them are needed, and he gives to the church what is needed for the good of the church, so that as each gift, each member, is exercising his gift according to the will of the Spirit, then it builds up the entire church, so that nothing is lacking. That means that we all have gifts given to us by God, and we are to use those gifts for what purpose? For the common good. The common good, right? For the good of the body, not for self-promotion, right? Not for myself, for my fame and fortune, right? Not selfishly, but for the common good. Meaning, we should not be leeches, leeches and mooches in the church. This should not be the case. Right? There should not be people who are leeches, who always take, but they never give anything at all. But rather, we should all be looking to be a benefit and to a help one to another and use the gifts given to us by the Spirit for the good of the body. 1 Corinthians 3. Spiritual leechery. That's not one of the gifts. Right? We didn't read that. You know, Not the case at all. No way. 1 Corinthians 3.21. 1 Corinthians 3.21 says, So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Don't boast in men. That... We should plaster that at the front of the church, right? Or right up behind the pole, wherever we can plaster it. In our homes, wherever it is, do not boast in men. Cursed is the man who trusts in men, who trusts in men. Isn't this common today in our present world? And isn't this common in the churches as well? That men boast in men, right? They find their hope, their surety in men. Specifically, typically, celebrity men, famous men, famous pastors, right? This is what they do. But he's telling here we shouldn't do that. We should not boast in men. That's what they're doing in the church. One is saying, I follow uh, Apollos. Another one, I follow Cephas. I follow Paul. I follow Christ. As if Apollos and Cephas and Paul and Christ are all divided into separate camps. That's not the case at all. None of them are divided. They're all united together. So why are you dividing the church up into these cliques and factions saying that you follow these people when these people are not working against one another, but they're all working in perfect unity? So we shouldn't do that, right? We shouldn't divide things up, but rather we should be united, right? United together. All things belong to you, whether it's Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. All of them are given for the benefit of the church, And we are given for the benefit of one another, for each other. And our gifts are given to us for the benefit of one another. So whatever you possess belongs to me, and whatever I possess belongs to you for your benefit, for the mutual good, the common good of the church. 
whether Paul, Apollos, the world, life, death, things present, things to come. All things belong to you. It's all for our benefit in Christ. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. It all ultimately originates from God and it all goes back to God. So don't divide these things up and put them in contrast to one another, in opposition to one another, which is, again, this is a common thing that people do. They do this with the Bible. They want to make Christ contradict Moses. They want Paul to contradict Christ. They want the Old Testament to contradict the New Testament, right? This to contradict that, and then they put things against one another that are not against one another. The grace of God in contrast to righteousness, as if those two things are in opposition. But they're not in opposition. They are in perfect harmony together. So we shouldn't do that with doctrines. We shouldn't do that with the writers of the Bible, the prophets and the apostles, and we shouldn't do it amongst one another. We should live in harmony and communion with each other and promote the mutual good. Okay, next, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. It says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So they are encourage one another, build one another up. This is what we're supposed to do. And then as that is necessary, right, in the various situations that arise within the church, if there's someone who is unruly, we should admonish them. If they're living an unruly life, they need to be admonished. If there's someone who's faint-hearted, they need to be encouraged. If there's someone who is weak, they need to be helped. And then with all of them, what are we to do? Be patient. Be patient with all of them and pray and work for their sanctification and for the good of the whole church. So this is the way that we are to live toward one another. Not seeking to destroy each other, but to build one another up in perfect love until we all reach maturity in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't times where we need tough love. We do need tough love sometimes. If someone's unruly, they need tough love, right? But the goal of all of it is what? Is the building up of the body, right? The building up of the body so that we might all grow into maturity. Romans chapter 1, verse 11 Romans 1, verse 11 says, For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So there, the apostle, in his desire to go to Rome and see the Christians there in Rome, was for the purpose of imparting a spiritual gift to them, right? So that they would be established in their faith. 
But then notice also that not only was he going to give to them and be a benefit to them, he also expected that the church would be a benefit to him as well. That it wasn't going to be one-sided. That it was going to be reciprocal. He was going to give to them, and they were going to give to him, and they were going to encourage one another, each by the other's faith, both yours and mine. His faith would be an encouragement to them, and their faith would be an encouragement to him. And this is the Apostle Paul. Yet he understood that he needed other brothers, that he needed the church, and that other believers would be a benefit to him. So he wasn't so far beyond everyone else, though he was far beyond everyone else. He was the holy apostle, the apostle Paul, who wrote so many of the New Testament books. So he is preeminent in terms of his standing within the church, right? His standing as an apostle, his godliness, his holiness, right? He's more advanced than any of us in the Christian life. But he was not so advanced that he couldn't benefit from the common Christian, because that's who he's writing to here, just the common Christian, average Christians like us, but he knew that they were going to be a benefit to him and help encourage him. Well, if that was true of the apostle, then won't that be true of each other? It will certainly be true of us. So we need one another, and we should encourage one another when we are together in this way. Okay, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 16. 1 John 3, 16. That, those 1 Thessalonians and, and uh, Romans are talking about the communion and the encouragement of the inner man, right? The spiritual man. Now, 1 John chapter 3 is talking about the outer man, right? The physical man, that we ought to be of encouragement and help to one another in terms of physical needs as well. 1 John 3, 16 says, we know love by this. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So there, we come to know and understand love because we see love manifested in the person and work of Christ. He laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. This is what he did for us, and we are to learn from that, that this is the way that we ought to behave toward one another. Okay, well then how do we do that practically speaking within the day-to-day -day life of the church? Then he tells us in verse 16, or in verse 17, if you have the world's goods... If you have possessions, if you have riches, and you have a brother, and the brother has a legitimate need, right? A legitimate need. Not an illegitimate need. Not he's lazy and, and he refuses to work. But a legitimate need that the brother has, and you close your heart against him. Meaning, you don't assist him and help him and use your possessions to be a blessing and to be an aid to your brother in his physical need. Then can you have God's love within you? And he says, no. It's impossible that you would know and understand the love of God or have the love of God because if you have received the love of God that leads to the forgiveness of your sins, then how are you not going to do this to your brother? 
How are you so bitter, so jaded, right? So demented in your mind that you don't see and recognize that you ought to do this to your brother, to your fellow body member in Christ. And that's why he says we should not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth, right? Not loving merely in word or tongue. We should use our words and our tongue to admonish and to uh, testify of our love for one another, but not merely with our tongue, also with our deeds and our actions. What we say should be backed up by what we do. And if we see our brother in need, we should help them, help them, assist them, aid them in whatever they might need. Okay, then Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So while we have opportunity, right, in this life, we have the opportunity to do good to all men, and especially those of the household of faith. So when the opportunity arises, when the need presents itself, and we have the ability to meet that need, what should we do? We should help them. We should help and be a blessing to the household of faith. And this is because we are, when we're doing that, we are helping our own body, right? It's like the hand uh, putting a bandage on the foot, putting a bandage on the foot. When the hand does that, yes, it is a benefit to the foot, but who else is it a benefit to? It's a benefit to the whole body, to every part, including the hand. And this is the way that we ought to be toward one another. We should live in this type of harmony and unity and communion toward one another because we have communion with Christ. Okay, so we'll stop there for today and we'll pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our time together today. Lord, for the fellowship that we have with one another. Lord, for the fellowship that we have with with you and with the Son and with the Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you have put us together in a body. Lord, that we are united. Lord, that we all possess the same Spirit and that we all have a common faith, a common faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we pray that we would grow more and more in our experience, Lord, of your grace and your mercy. Lord, that we would share in your sufferings, Lord, even in your death, Lord, that we might share in your resurrection and in the glory and the life to come. Lord, as well, we pray that we would be bound together, Lord, in harmony and unity with the body of Christ. Lord, that we would not seek to be isolated, Lord, to live uh, separate from others, but that we would see that when we are bound together with Christ, when we are united together to him, that, Lord, at the same time, you unite us to one another. And that you do that for our good. Lord, knowing that none of us can live the Christian life on our own. But we need one another. Lord, we need the household of faith. So, Father, we pray that we would look toward one another in this way. Lord, that we would not gather together in a selfish way. Lord, with each one uh, looking to his own interest. Lord, that there would not be envy or rivalry or jealousy among us. 
but that each one would be humble and that, Lord, each of us would be looking to serve his, not his own interest, but the interest of others. And that, Lord, we would use our gifts that you have given to us, Lord, to be a benefit to the whole body. Lord, as well as we have opportunity, Lord, to meet and to help the needs of others, Lord, we pray that you would make us aware of those things, that you would give us a generous heart, and Lord, that we might in love do those things that are helpful, Lord, to, toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Lord, make us aware of those things, and Lord, give us the desire and the ability to be able to help and to minister to one another. Lord, give us safety as we travel home today. Lord, we pray that you would be with us the rest of this Lord's Day. Lord, that we would continue to worship you and to spend the day, Lord, focusing upon you and upon your glory. Lord, we pray for your blessing to be upon our families and our homes and that you would build us up in our faith and, Lord, cause us to walk in your ways. So, Lord, bless us throughout this week and, Lord, help us to do your will. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.